The other day, I was admiring all of the pictures and videos of snowfalls folks were posting on social media. I was particularly excited to see all of the snow around Suwannee, Tennessee, where Jordan and I lived for three years while I was in seminary. Suwannee is normally a pretty magical place already, being a small town on top of the Cumberland Plateau, about an hour from any civilization. In the spring, it's covered in wildflowers and fog so thick you can't see your hand in front of your face. In the summer, it seems like there are waterfalls everywhere and the grassy fields are lit up by fireflies. And in the fall, the leaves actually change color and fall to the ground, something I didn't know really happened. But winter is weird. Swanee is just far enough north to where it actually does get cold and gray and dark. And it's just south enough that snow only happens every now and then. But when it does, Swanee is transformed into Narnia. Being a Florida girl, snow falling from the sky was practically magic to me. I look back on those very few snow days fondly and try to forget the normal, dark, dreary, freezing, and snowless days that I mainly either spent in the chapel, in the seminary, or in the gym. So when I was fondly looking through pictures and videos of snow in Swanee, Facebook kindly reminded me that five years ago, I was touring Swanee for the first time. I chuckled a little bit at 27-year-old me in bootcut jeans with long, straight brown hair, wearing sneakers in the snow, holding my first coffee from the local coffee shop and absolutely giddy from the snow flurries that swirled around me for the first time. That was the moment I knew God was calling me to live and study in Swanee. Chuckling to myself, I texted that picture to my best friends without any comment. After some laughter and some talking about snow, my girlfriend replied, gosh, Lisa, you look like a completely different person. Without even thinking, I typed back, I was a completely different person. And I was right. The more I've examined my heart these past few days, the more ways I see how different I've become. In the priesthood, we often joke about what we used to do in our past lives, but some days it is hard to believe that I once went to law school or took the bar or practiced law or managed a team of people. My priorities have changed. My values have changed. Things I once thought were important just aren't anymore. As devout as I was going into seminary, I am a different person than I was five years ago, and I don't think it was Swanee that changed me. I think it was God. Jesus is the one we talk about being transfigured on this day. The glory of God shines through him, his face glows, his clothes become dazzling white, and Moses and Elijah, representatives of the law and the prophets, are by his side. But Jesus is not transformed. Jesus is the same person. Jesus in his humanity and his divinity is just finally fully revealed. But the lives of Peter, James, and John who witnessed this revelation, this vision, this declaration, the lives of Peter, James, and John will never be the same. Even with the faithfulness they had shown up to this point, this mountaintop experience would forever transform their lives. Many of us have had mountaintop experiences. We have come intimately close to the living God, and it has been 
transformational. We are different people now than we were before the experience. When we talk about Christianity, we are talking about transformation. We can think Jesus as a historical figure with great ideas. We can love our church community. We can volunteer with our favorite organizations around town to tangibly help our neighbors. But until we witness the glory of God, our lives will not be transformed. Sometimes this transformation happens slowly over time as we let Christ in little by little. Sometimes we are rocked by tragedy or trauma or hardship, and Jesus shows up in our midst. And sometimes we find that the guy we've been walking alongside all this time is transfigured before our eyes. And suddenly we find that we are no longer the same person we were before. This morning, we will have five people joining the family of God. Now, as all of them are under the age of two, we don't expect that they fully comprehend what this day means to them. But on this day, their journey of being transformed by Christ will begin. They will be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They will be sealed by the Holy Spirit and baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. And we will pray that they will not be the same people today that they were yesterday. Transformation is scary. I think it's why we see so many people hold the church at arm's length. They'll come to church a time or two a month, but they never fully buy into the community. They'll listen to a sermon on the podcast, but they won't think about how their faith influences their career or their family or their finances. They will claim they're Christians, but they won't ever fully become disciples of Jesus Christ. Letting God transform you into a disciple is scary. It distances you from what culture tells you is important. It makes you reconsider how you spend your time and your money. It makes you question your relationships and your hobbies. Being transformed can be painful and scary and also amazing. Following Jesus will change your life. You won't be the same person you were five years ago, and that will be a good thing. Through the waters of baptism, all of us have begun that process. We renounced cosmic, worldly, and personal evil, and we affirm that we have turned to Christ, accepted him as our savior, and promised to follow him all the days of our lives. Then we made a covenant to act as Christians and to open ourselves up to the transforming power of the holy. We promised to come to church and participate in the sacraments with the community. We promise that when we sin, we will repent and turn back toward God. We promise to tell others about the good news of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. We promise to love our neighbors, to treat them with dignity, and to work for justice and peace on behalf of all of the children of God. These are the promises that open us up to be transformed by God. These are the promises that will change our lives if we let them. These are the promises that will make sure we are completely different people five years from now. Every December, Jordan and I walk through the woods and set goals for the upcoming year. We spend hours talking about how the previous year went, what we feel we accomplished, where we feel we failed, where we saw God, and how we grew as people. It is one of my favorite days of the year. 
As Christians, Lent provides us the same opportunity. Lent provides us a time to look back on our journey with God, to remember those mountaintop moments, those intimate moments with God that has changed who we are as people and as Christians. It is a time for us to prune some of the branches that aren't bearing fruit in our lives and time for us to set our intentions about how we will let God transform our lives in the rest of the church year. It is a time when we examine our failings and when we course correct to try and follow the will of God just a little bit closer. Lent is a transformative time in our lives when we assess how far we've come and set goals for how we can continue to open our hearts up to the Holy Spirit and ask to be transformed. Even though the Bible is full of literal mountaintop moments, us Floridians should be happy to hear that we do not have to travel to the mountaintops to have an intimate relationship with our Lord. We can start now, today, by recommitting ourselves to the promises made at our baptism, whether we recall them or not. We can start now as we cast off the season after Epiphany and take up the hard wood of the cross for Lent. And we can start now by asking God to come into our lives, to mold us like the clay we are, and to transform us through his love.